I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Welcome to the Rocky Road Podcast with me, Kevin Byrne. Now, regular listeners will be used to our format here where once a week or so, we look back at famous or forgotten moments in Irish boxing history. Well, our hand was sort of forced there due to, due to the pandemic, which you may or may not have heard of. We've always wanted to hear from underdogs, scrappers, real-life Rockies to discuss their journeys from the bottom to the top. Well, today's guest epitomizes that quest. <clears throat> I'm delighted to introduce a light heavyweight from Long Island who's also known as the Irish Bomber. At the age of 31, he will fight for the world title for the second time when he takes on Russia's Maxim Vlasov at the MGM Grand Bubble in Las Vegas on February 13th. He's a blue-collar hero, someone who's repeatedly beaten the odds. He retired Bernard Hopkins by punching him out of the ring. Frankly, he's one of the most entertaining fighters to watch in all of boxing. Even Teddy Atlas says so, says he's his new favourite fighter. Just before coming on, I even discovered that we share a birthday. Irish middleweight contender Gary Spike O'Sullivan is here as well, and we're going to be speaking with Joe Smith Jr. Joe, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. Allow me to introduce you to Spike if you guys haven't met before. You all, Spike. Oh, uh, good, Joe. I wish you the best of luck in the upcoming fight. I've been uh, doing a lot of research on the fight, and I uh, really thank you, and I believe you're going to win the fight. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, thanks for joining us as well, Spike. How are you keeping? Good, yeah, just tipping away, just uh, opening a fight news there. I'm assuming myself I'm uh, in the gym tipping away and keeping fit and uh, trying to maintain my weight and uh, be ready when I get the call. Yeah, well, I suppose Joe's story is a perfect um, example to keep battling, keep fighting and, uh, you know, keep punching. Absolutely, 100% uh, great admirer of Joe as I am and, uh, you know, I love his story. I've uh, been looking into you a lot more, Joe, and... Uh, seen your story your life story and uh, it's a great one a bit similar to myself I've done a lot of construction myself and uh, chopping down some trees myself I've been known to do uh, so um, yeah man I'm a big fan and I'll be I'll be rooting for you alright thanks I appreciate that man Joe can you tell us about your uh, family's Irish connection and even growing up in, in Long Island being here you're, you're the oldest of eight brothers and sisters growing up yeah what was your family like um just a uh, Big family. We all, uh, we actually all enjoy, you know, fighting and <laughs> you know, hanging out with each other. It, you know, it was good growing up. You know, with a big family, we um, we always kept each other busy, and uh, it was great. And uh, what part of Ireland do you know? Do, you, do your relations hail from or your your 
Uh, I'm not personally, I don't know the exact, you know, areas that my family was from there. You know, I, my, my aunts and my, my mother would know more of that, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, I know one time, uh, I had, uh, a guy from Ireland, you know, messaging me on uh, Facebook and stuff like going off on me saying I was using the Irish name and, <laughs> you know, and uh, he was kind of getting pissed off about it. And my aunt happened to see it and like she went off on the guy like saying like her grandpa from here, here, wherever it was. And uh, it was hearing that and seeing, you know, seeing my aunt go off on somebody like that. But uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm born and raised here in the U.S., you know, Long Island. But, um, you know, I'm Irish. <laughs> yeah. I'm Irish, Italian, slight Irish, you know, mostly Irish, a little bit of German, Italian. Okay. And growing up as a young, you know, you start boxing young, and is it something that's thrown into you? You're, you're an Irish boxer, you're an Irish kid, you're going to wear green, you're going to wear the shamrock and all, and you're going to fight proud. Yes. So your early days as a boxer, you, you, you're not exactly someone who came into it by accident. You know, you, you, you boxed amateur, boxed at a high level, won a lot of tournaments and prizes. Yeah. Yeah, my father, you know, um, he got me into it when I was about 13. And, uh, you know, my my first week in the gym, I started sparring with guys that have, you know, been around for years. And, uh, you know, I was doing great against them. And they seen... You know, like my father and the trainer at the time, they seen like my punching power and they were like, oh, wow, this you could actually be something with, you know, the strength you have, you know. Mm. So for a long time, we we, we uh, relied on my power and stuff. But, uh, you know, been trying to improve on everything else overall. Yeah. Uh, what sort of boxers as a, as a young guy did you try and model yourself on did you go for the typically Irish thing or or was it a wider variety of boxers different styles different fighters US has so many good examples to pick from too honestly I liked watching just guys that were knocking people out <laughs> it was just you know I like like um, I always watch like knockout highlight reels to get amped up before fights and um, one of my favorite knockout reels were um Roy Jones Jr., like, you watch his uh, knockout highlights, man, they were pretty impressive. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Spike, just a big element of Joe's career, which is very familiar to you, you know, having to graft, having to work, having to take up jobs. And for Joe, he's well known as, like, a blue-collar hero. I said it in the intro, but it's every article kind of, people say it about you almost as if you're a character in a Bruce Springsteen song or something like that. Uh, but Spike, you've got, you've got experience of having to graft outside the ring as well as in the ring. So when you're a professional boxer, really though, your wage is coming in through harder means than even fighting sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. I can relate to uh, Joe's experience a lot. I was in construction myself for the majority of my professional boxing career. I've only been uh, kind of able to uh, earn enough money to just concentrate professionally fully last few years you know the, the beginning was a big struggle and uh, just yeah. fortunate enough you know it's hard work pays off I guess and uh, it's really paying off for Joe now and uh, you know I'm, I'm uh, very happy for him and uh, hopefully I can uh, follow suit and become a world champion like yourself soon yeah I, I hope I become world champ man I'm training for you know something I worked for for a long time and you know, I think about having having to go back to work after this if I don't become yeah. a world. 
I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I was actually tra- I was training out my back garden earlier, just working the bag and doing jumping a bit of rope. And uh, I was thinking that exact same thing. You know, I want to uh, keep on going and land some big money fights, and uh, I don't want to go back to work on what I used to do before. You know, in the construction. Yeah, it's one thing to you know go back because you want to, and yeah. you know, you know, keep yourself busy, but to have to rely on you know working every day to support yourself is uh, not something I, I want to look forward to going back to. No, not me, not me. So uh, hopefully we can uh, both achieve that. We'll, I'm sure we'll do our best anyway. And, you know, I've been studying your opponent actually, and I, I noticed the, the the three opponents that have beaten him have all been a uh, shorter guy, slightly shorter. But but two of them been six foot, six foot. Uh, Isaac Chamberlain and uh, Ramirez or Kolowski or something. I think his name was. They're they're both six foot, same height as yourself. So. Uh, I, I was thinking maybe he doesn't like uh, fighting shorter guys. I know he's he's six three, you know. So yeah. I think, uh, you know, just uh, yeah, just take away his uh, reach from him and uh, you know stay busy. We got to punch yeah. with him. Yeah, definitely. I'm not just studying him, obviously, and but I was just saying you're six foot, and he's been beaten by two guys that were six foot as well. So uh, you know, I think uh, it's a good fight for you, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Well, he's used to chopping down large objects because, Joe, you are um, you worked in demolition, construction, groundwork, pouring concrete. That's kind of yeah. my family business as well. I spent a lot of years doing it, but <coughs> I wouldn't have been able to go boxing training afterwards. How how difficult was it to combine, you know, working a tough job, uh, working in construction, and then going oh. boxing training at night time? At first, it was pretty tough, you know, because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm like just getting up in the morning to go to work, you know, I had to get up some days at like four thirty, five o'clock because the job site was two hours away. And then when I got there, I was doing, you know, like heavy labor, you know, construction where I was demoing things or, you know, using a sludge hammer, take down a wall or digging holes or, you know, something like that. And then to come home and try to get to the gym after, you know, being up, you know, from four in the morning, you know, long drive, it, it, it's tough. But, uh, you know, as my career, you know, went forward, you know, the the union and the guys that I was working with, they try to, you know, look for jobs for me that, you know, I could have a little more leeway. Like they, they were trying to find easier jobs for me, like, you know, sweeping the floor or, you know, just cleaning up after job yeah. sites. So I started doing that for a little bit, you know, more for like, you know, like the Hopkins fight, you know, those kind of fights. I started yeah. doing that. You know, I, I mean, there were still days where I had to come in and, you know, dig a hole or something, but yeah, you know, try to look out for me a little bit. And what was it? What was it like working construction? And was it was it New York City you were working, or more so over Long Island, or where where were you? Where would you be based mainly? Um, all over the island. I mean, I worked in Long Island City. I worked um, Stony Brook. I worked at a couple of colleges. Yeah, all over the place. Yeah, I'd say uh, plenty of fun on those on those sites as well. They're, they can be fairly close to the uh, bone places. Like, there's a lot of uh, machismo and a lot of a lot of joking, a lot of laughing, and a lot of great days. You know, joking around with the guys. You know, do we. And then being a fighter and stuff, everyone wants to like mess with you, you know, in a fighting way, come up and throw punches at you and stuff. You know, sometimes you got to take them down, you know. <laughs> but, 
<laughs> yeah, even on a serious level, there'd be guys doing it as opposed to, uh, you know, joking around. But, you know. I'd more joking around, but, yeah. yeah. They come up, like I had a guy one time, you know, he was just messing around, throwing punches at me, and I uh, I grabbed him and threw him on the floor rather than, uh, like, shadow boxing with him, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm not, I'm not in the mood, says you. And did the guy, did the lads on the site, like, did they support your boxing career, though, generally? Did they attend fights? Because being a ticket seller can really propel you to being somebody who nobody wants. You can be a boxer who nobody really... You can be as talented as you want, but if you don't sell tickets, you're going nowhere, whereas you need to combine a bit of popularity and talent. So did the guys on the sites come out and support you? Yeah, definitely. That You know, that was a big help, you know, in the beginning of my career, you know, with getting me the fights because, you know, I always sold out sold out the place, you know. I always had uh, the union guys behind me. They always come out and support me. And, uh, you know, they loved watching me fight because they, 90% of the time, they were expecting a knockout. So, <laughs> look forward to seeing the knockout. As some some fights they were too fast for them. They started complaining at you know to me. Listen, man, you got me driving you know an hour to come watch you fight. Uh, you know, last ten seconds you got uh, you got to make it last at least a round for me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I guess you could have thrown out the line now. We don't get paid for overtime, but the union guys go, "Hey, what are you talking about? Of course we do." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Spike, do you think you had the same mentality as Joe? Go for the you like I've known you for a lot of years. It was always go for the knockout, wasn't it? I'm going to fight this guy. I'm going to knock him out. It was always go kill mentality. Yeah, I, I have. I've always kind of tried that even up into my last fight with Monkey. I was trying to knock him out early as well. There, but um, I think uh, this period of time, the lockdown, and has actually got me thinking to a. Uh, you know, try new things and uh, lighten up the punches a bit and uh, be more tactical and, you know, not expend as much energy. And I just listened to you there, Joe, I can relate back to my construction days. It's a, it's a tough gig, you know, uh, going getting up early, going to work and then trying to come home and train in the evening. I remember one time I got a uh, boils underneath, like blisters underneath both arm, armpits and uh, I actually fell asleep driving my motorbike twice and the uh, second time I crashed, I was just absolutely... Correct, I know it's it's tough going, but uh, you know, I've heard of people falling asleep behind the wheel of a car spike, but not on a motorbike. I know, man. My what my dad says to me, he he says to me, "Jesus, must be the only asshole that ever fell fucking sleep behind it on a motorbike." <laughs> <laughs> and you did it twice. Uh, twice, <laughs> two days, in, two days in a row. I was I was absolutely knackered, and uh, you know, the second day, I just uh, someone beeped me the first time because I think I was going all over the road, and the next. The next day, then um, I, I, hit, I hit into the back of a car. Yeah, you hit into the back of a car. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. yeah. And was there much damage done? Not much. The bike was the fearing, and the bike was a bit smashed, but uh, I was fine. Just I hit my ribs off the uh, the fold of the boot, the back of the boot of the car, but uh, mm. I had no broken ribs or anything. But I was actually fine. Oh. Lucky. But I, like, I, I, was, I was doing slow speed anyway, probably just coming to traffic lights and just dozed off. And, yeah. It's it's it gets increasingly difficult, I'm sure, to combine that hard workload though with elite boxing. As you as you move up through the ranks, your trainer wants you down the gym a couple of times a week. You got to do, you got to rest. You got to do kind of swim, say all sorts of sessions, gym sessions, boxing sessions, running. It must become increasingly difficult. And both of you, did you did you ease off as, as you rose through the ranks? Well, yeah. Well, with me, when I once I started getting the bigger fights. You know, I would tri- I would work up to like a month before, and then I would I wouldn't you know wouldn't work anymore. I just take off or work like a day, day or two a week, 
you know, luckily, you know, I was able to do it once I got the bigger fights and made a little more money where I could do that. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess, and even Spike, a couple of fighters you probably be well aware of, though, Irish guys in North America like Sean Mannion, Steve Collins, both of them worked on sites right up until they had world title fights and they didn't, you know, they took a month off or something like that or a couple of weeks, but really never stopped. Yes, um, I, know, I know I know, both those lads very well, Sean and uh, Steve, obviously. But uh, do, do you know, uh, Joe, do you know um, John Duddy and James Moore? Would you know, would you know the lads? Two lads yeah. that live in New York. Yeah. Yeah, I know him as well. I, I met him there uh, last March. I was I was in New York for the, um, my film was shown and uh, the prize fighter was shown in New York and they, they came along to watch. I was just, is there is there going to be crowds at your fight in Vegas? Uh, I don't believe so. You know, I was hoping they would at least allow us to have, you know, family and friends there, but uh, it doesn't look like we're going to be able to have any. Such a shame. Yeah, I was going to ask you, are the lads going down to support you? Fellow Irishman, I thought they might be going, but... It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty... TV, you know, and I'll be, uh, I'll be in there putting on a great show for them, at, you know, while they're sitting at home watching. Yeah, <laughs> I've no, no doubt about that. Does it make any difference? Uh, do you think not going to not going to have a crowd there? Because I'm sure over the years you've had some fairly lively crowds shouting on the Irish bomber. Yeah, I mean it's it's great having the crowd there. You know, sometimes they, uh, you know, they amp you up and they they get you going. You know, but at the same time, a crowd could uh, get you over, like you know, to, uh, you know, push yourself, you know, really hard and fast, but. Uh, I don't know. The the last fight I had, you know, with Alvarez, I fought with no crowd and uh I put on a great show and I just I just had it in my head that, you know, everybody was at home standing in front of their T V screaming at me to you know, to punch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's as much inspiration, I suppose, to having nobody there makes it even more makes you even more aware of the fact that there's people at home willing you on if you're even if your nearest and dearest can't be in the uh, in the arena. Yeah, I just you know, I knew I was there. You know, I had a mission to, you know, get him out of there pretty much and get to this fight and, uh, you know, to just put on a great show for everybody watching at home. Uh, Joe, did you always, um, did you always believe that you were destined for this kind of level of boxing? Because when you beat him from Farah, you really had a breakthrough and then you fought against Bernard Hopkins and I, I, I can't remember the exact odds, but you went into the fight, I think, as a bit of an underdog and you retired legendary fight figure. Um, how did you do it? Man, just hard work, working hard every day, you know. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid growing up, my father always told me, you know, you could be a world champion. And I was like, yeah, yeah I don't know. I don't know about that. And then when I met my trainer, Jerry Capienko, he said, you know, just give me a couple of years. I'm going to make you a world champion. I'm like, yeah, all right, we'll see. <laughs> fight I had I was like oh shit it's actually this actually could happen so I you know once I started seeing that it was definitely possible I tried to push myself a little harder and dedicate myself more to the sport yeah and before the Hopkins fight what was your state of mind like for Hopkins fight it was just like you know this is my opportunity you know I was still working every day and I was like this this is my opportunity to not have to get up and go to work every day and potentially get a world title shot. So I was, you know, extremely motivated for that fight. And, um, you know, I went into it with uh, a lot of 
I don't know, a lot of rage in there. <laughs> you know, just, you know, nothing was going to stop me. You know, yeah. I, I had, I was just set to win. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, I suppose the, the eyes of the world were on you. Yeah. Spike, he's your boss, Bernard Hopkins. You better not say anything too much about too bad about him. <laughs> I, just, I was I was cheering for Bernard in that fight. Wink, wink. <laughs> you, you know what? Um, I was just thinking there, Joe. You, you know, when you were boxing as an amateur in the States, I've never boxed in the States as an amateur, so I, I wouldn't know what the crowds are like. So I was just wondering, um, was there many fights where there was like a very, very small crowd when you fought as an amateur? Or? Um, well, a lot of the show fights that I've actually fought at were very pretty good. They were pretty, you know, big crowds. And, yeah. Uh, the, the the guys putting them together. It was actually you know a lot of fun. It was something to look forward to. You know when I was a kid, I remember. Yeah. I remember every time I fought too. Like people knew that I was like a knockout guy, so they would uh, they would all just come and surround the ring, and they they would just start screaming like, "Uh oh, I smell a knockout coming." Yeah. <laughs> the reason I was actually wondering was because like uh, back in Ireland, anyway, it's, at some fights there used to be very little. At the amateur shows, there'd be very little crowd, so I was just, I haven't uh, fought as a pro uh, with no crowd there, but I was just uh, thinking if I happened to do the fight as a pro with no crowd, I'd just revert back to thinking, you know, I've done it before as an amateur with, you know, probably half a dozen in the crowd, so uh, I was just wondering, had you had the same experience? In the last couple of years, I I feel like the amateur boxing has slowed down a little bit, but... uh... Um, when I was growing up and in the amateurs, I believe it was like one of the best times here anyway. Right. Yeah, you had that rivalry with Shawnee Monaghan. Did you ever guys fight in the amateurs? Um, I fought him in the finals of the, uh, the New York Golden Gloves, the uh, novice division. Okay. And, uh, it was, that was a, <laughs> it was a great fight. You know, we, we sold out the place. Me and was uh you know it was it was really good we um you know we were we always trained together sparred together and stuff 
And, uh, you know, that when we were fighting in the finals of the gloves, it was like a big deal to us because, you know, we both wanted to get in there and prove who was the best. But uh, it was good. I got in there. You know, it was a tough fight. We uh, we just we went to the center of the ring and we're, we went at it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I got the decision um, that year, and then uh, the following year, we were we um, we both lost in the, like the semifinals to uh, two guys that we both beat a month before in the Metro, <laughs> but uh, but we didn't get to uh, do that second match. We only fought once. Yeah, it's a pity you weren't able to do it in the pros. Yeah, we were. Um, you know, we we told each other too. You know, we spoke about it, but we, why would we fight each other? The only reason we would fight each other was would be for a world championship. You know, we're both from the same, you know, neighborhoods pretty much, and uh, you know, there was no reason for us to fight unless it was for world championship or big money. Yeah, yeah, because the the one who loses isn't going to get that opportunity. Your opportunity uh, to fight for world title came against um, one of the one of the best fighters. Pound for pound, even you know, in the heavier weights, uh, Bivol, a class act. Um, ha- were you were you well prepared enough for the fight, or did you make mistakes, or what happened? Um, yeah, I mean that wasn't my best training camp. Um, you know, I felt I was you know in great shape and stuff, but boxing wise, I really, you know, I I, I could have done more and worked on things, but I still went into that fight a hundred percent. You know that. He just at the time he was, uh, you know, the better fighter. Mm. What was his What was his best attribute? What did he do? What did he do well? He was just very slick and uh, hard to hit. You know, and um, you know my my problem when I was fighting him, I was looking for one punch rather than just staying busy and boxing and setting up the big shots. I was just looking for the big shot, mm. and uh, you know he. But with a fighter like him, you can't do that. He he just capitalized on every every time I missed or anything, he would make me pay for it. <laughs> but I, I remember, I think it was uh, like the 10th round. I, I fought him right at the end of the round. Yeah. With a hand right. I landed it perfect. And uh, I replay, I rewatched that particular spot just knowing like I was that close to becoming world champion and beating one of the best light heavyweight out there yeah absolutely I, like if if your story in boxing had have ended there that would be you know the finale of the film Bivol rocked but just the, the bell going against you and denied the chance to become world champion just at the last and that would have been the end of the hard luck story or the great Rocky story and then oh, he didn't win but he gave it his all you know yeah, if I if I had five more seconds in that round, world champ. But uh, you know, he he went back to the corner. I I thought the next round he would have came out, you know, a little messed up. Still, he recovered and you know he showed that he's a true champion and uh, he picked it up the last two rounds. I remember the the twelfth and final round, the last like twenty seconds, he was just <laughs> teeing off on me. I was like, oh. Man. Uh, I, I made it through the fight. I was like, they yeah. got to throw it. <laughs> Sp- 
Spike, what's that feeling like when you come so close? You're a punch or two away, and you know that to win this fight, it's going to change. You've already changed your life through the sport to get to where you've gone, but then you know that you're only a couple of punches away from really ratcheting things up. You've been in that situation yourself. Yeah, my last fight with Mungi, I just caught him like that towards the end of the round, and he was dazed and staggered, but the, the bell rang almost immediately, and uh, it was unfortunate for me, but... Uh, that's boxing for you I guess but it's uh, you just think back and just think what, what if you know but fuck it it didn't happen so you know that's yeah. it and Joe and Joe after losing your first world title fight did you think you'd get another did you consider walking away going back to construction What? where was your head at after that it was like you know it was like uh, this is it for me you know I got, I got my shot usually it's, it's tough to get a second shot mm-hmm. you know but you know I was able to you know I took a little time I came back I worked on things you know I I took a light fight you know getting back into it and then they were like we'll throw this fight at you and then they offered me a deal to you know fight for another world title but they said you know you got to beat we're going to have a tournament you got to beat these guys and uh, I ended up fighting everybody so Yeah, your your resume now at this stage is a who's who. And I presume from the Bivol fight to this one, you're a much more rounded and a better fighter, fighting at a more a higher level and pulling off wins as well. Like the the, the fight against Jesse Hart, you weren't fancied really to win. He wanted revenge for uh, the executioner, the alien, uh, his friend Bernard Hopkins, and you just weren't going to let that happen. Yeah, no, I, I was extremely motivated once again. I, you know, after losing the Bivol, you know, I... I went back to the gym. I was, I seen the things that I needed to work on and I started working on it from that day on. And, um, you know, I just feel like when I went into that fight, I was, I was ready and prepared and, you know, it went my way. It was great. Lads, what's it feel like, um, as a non, I've never knocked anybody out in a boxing ring. What does it feel like to do it? You know, it's it's a great feeling to stop somebody, but but when you when you stop somebody at the level that I'm at now, that especially when you're not supposed to win the fight and you stop them, you know that's a that's an even better feeling. For me, it's a sense of relief. You've won and the fight is over, and it's just relief, really. Just uh, it's over with, and just yeah, I've won. Relax for a little while, and then. Uh, get- <laughs> Yeah, not not overjoyed, not, you know, look at me, I'm a badass. It's more so, thank God, thank God. Yeah. Big fight for me. I got, because, you know, you, you get that victory, you know you're set up for something else better, you know, or bigger. Yeah, like, you, you lads have already been able to change your lives through boxing. I know Spike with them. Um, you know, your most recent deal with Golden Boy and stuff like that, or maybe not your most recent, but deals you've done with Golden Boy over the last couple of years, you've been able to buy a house in Cork. That was one of your main ambitions from boxing, to be mortgage-free and set up for life. And Joe, uh, you've left construction. I think you bought um, you bought into the family business a, a little bit. You, your family business is tree surgeons, uh, tree surgery, and you've bought a lot of tools and stuff. So you're, you're good to go. You've got a business there for life. Yeah, yeah. My, um, you know, like, and even, you know, it's great because... When I'm training, my father, he's out there working every day, running the business. And I got, you know, my brother's working for me, you know, so it's, it's good. It's, you know, it's family business now. And, uh, you know, I always got something to fall back on now after boxing. 
And what is it about boxing and tree surgery, Spike? You know, your big sponsor, Connell Thomas from Cork, is one of the main tree surgeons here in Ireland. And every boxer in the country seems to have been crawling up trees, cutting down branches at one stage or the other. Yes, it's, it's good. It's good. Like, it's, it's a good workout as well, you know. So uh, it's healthy and, you know, so and Connell's a great guy. He's a great man and uh, he facilitates all the fighters here and he's just a great man and... Uh, you know, I know Carl Frotch a big fan of chopping down the trees, but I, I heard. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. Definitely keeps you in shape. Yeah, oh, definitely, yeah. It does indeed. Yeah. Hard work. How, how hard have you had to work for this? Like a, a silly question, really, but what, what's gone into your training camp to, uh, effectively to prepare for this, your second world title shot, Joe? I'm just, you know, just focusing on being in great conditioning shape, so a lot of running, a lot of... Um, different calisthenic exercises and then, um, you know, just great rounds of sparring, trying to spar with, uh, you know, smaller, faster guys, spar with tall guys. I try to spar with every different kind of fighter you could think of just to be well-prepared all around for, um, for everything. And, uh, you know, I'm just, just focused and trying to work hard every day. Yeah, and has it, has it been difficult kind of getting sparring partners and things like that with uh, coronavirus so still so prevalent? Yeah, you know, I, I've i been just using, um, really, I have two sparring partners and uh, sometimes three or four. It, it just depends on, uh, it really, I can't get any other one, any new sparring partners because you just, you don't know if that person's carrying the virus or not because they, they may not even know, so... Mm. You know, I just try to stick to the same people who I know are being tested and, you know, I know that they're definitely good this way. I don't get it. Who out there in, in the uh, in world boxing do you, do you like uh, watching at the minute? Uh, your fights have become must-watched TV and I think they're going to be shown here in Ireland, which is good news. I'm waiting on to hear an announcement soon, but I, I believe they will be, uh, or your fight will be as well. Uh, who do you like watching aside from your own weight division? Um, I mean, I like watching all the big fights, you know, um, you know, Tank Davis, I watched it, you know, his last couple of fights, he looked great. Um, Terrence Crawford, you know, Melo Alvarez, you know, those guys are all, uh, you know, great to uh, watch and, and learn from. You know, you learn something from all all fighters. Yeah. Yeah, there's some serious operators out there at the minute, all right. And what what about Vlasov then? What do you know of him? He's, you know, he's won three in a row here since he lost to Glovacki. Um he looks a decent fighter. I've watched a few of his highlights. He looks looks a troublesome guy. Yeah, he you know he, he's a tough guy. You know he can take a lot of punishment if you know you're giving it to him. He he'll take it. And uh, you know he's very busy. He's very you know he's he's an accurate like puncher and very busy puncher. Throws a lot. You know he's he's constantly moving. A lot of head movement. You know you got to be in great physical shape and mental to you know fight somebody like that yeah but like like uh like your mantra spike joe i presume you're going in there to knock the head off him to knock him out <laughs> yeah that's what i'm hoping you know i want to i want to get my money early and go have a good time <laughs> yeah and what would constitute a good time uh just to come home you know just to have that victory you know get that belt on my shoulder and uh just hang out with my trainer and manager, my um, fiance after the fight, you know, and just relax. <laughs> Excellent. And have you have you guys set a date for the wedding? 
Yeah, it's gonna be uh, March sixth. So oh, shortly after. So you know, I'm may have to walk down the aisle with the belt on my shoulder. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, um, you've got just enough time for any black eyes to go down as well. Maybe I'll have her walk it down to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They don't talk anymore, but Barry McGuigan and Carl Frampton both got married within a week of fighting. Uh, boxers seem to do it, I suppose. You set the date for after your, after your big fight. Yeah. Yeah. We try to, we try to set it up around it this way. Um, you know, it didn't interfere at all. Yeah. Um, should, should you win and take the belt? What, what are your future plans for the division? I saw you, uh, doing something that's probably a bit insane and I saw you calling out uh, Baturbiev yeah I mean I'm here for the big fights you know I want to win the world championship and go after another one I just want you know I want to get the big fights and the big names and make as much money as possible in the next couple of years <laughs> yeah absolutely I suppose should you should you take this belt a fight with uh, Baturbiev or even possibly Canelo Alvarez they're massive money Massive exposure fights. Would a Canelo Alvarez fight interest you? Oh yeah, man. That, that I mean, that fight will interest anybody. You know, you know, you <laughs> fight like lottery. So, you know, it's just um, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm just hoping for one of those fights. Really, I want one of those, and then also I would like to get a rematch against uh, Bivol one day, if if possible. That'd be another good one. Yeah. Spike, what do you think you should do? Yeah, I'm sure uh, you're picking up uh, Canelo's belt. You know, he's he's left the belt there, so you're going to pick it up now and, uh, yeah. you know, invite him to try and come back and win it again. You know, uh, it'll be a good one for you, I think. Yeah, I think uh, once I have the belt, he should come back up and uh, try to take it from, uh, you know, somebody who's in their prime and uh, actually, yeah. you know, he fought Kovalev. He, you know, yeah. Kovalev. Uh, done right now. Exactly. Prove yourself against uh, a real contender, like heavyweight at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This this is your prime now, Joe. You're you're a professional. Twelve years. It's been a long a long journey to this stage. Yeah, definitely. But um, you know, I'm feeling I'm feeling my best right now. My my 30s are doing good for me. <laughs> yeah, you can relate, Spike. I can indeed, yeah. My pro debut 13 years ago, uh, and I feel I feel like I'm a better fighter now, just more experienced and uh, feel like better all around. Spike, what's your uh, formula for knocking out a, a fighter who's two or three inches taller than you? What, what do you do? Uh, it's an over, overhand right. I like a, an overhand smashing right, bring, bring the hand down, knuckles down, you know. <laughs> But uh, I don't think I need to give Joe any instructions. He's a fair hand at that himself. So uh, I've seen some of his right hands are uh, very, pretty awesome. You know, so uh, I think yeah. that's the punch. The Irish bomber. That's where the uh, the bomber aspect of your nickname came from. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Knocking people out. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, lads. I want to thank you both for joining me today on the rocky road. It's been an absolute pleasure. And Joe, we wish you well uh, in your world title fight. Take yeah. care of business. Is, you know, just tune in. I'm going to put on a great show for you all. All right. Well, look, that was our latest episode of The Rocky Road. Uh, a bit of a new one today. We interviewed a world boxer, and that is our intention once a month to get someone from the current scene. So we've got some pretty big names lined up for the rest of the year. So keep checking it out, and we'll talk to you next week.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.